It is the awesome NFL tournament strategy show. A little bit of a different look at the slate this week because, well, everybody's kind of doing the same exact content for this two-game slate. So Terry and I breaking it down. We're going to do the two showdown slates. We're going to be looking at FanDuel. We're going to be looking at DraftKings. Single game slates for Chiefs Bengals and then for the Rams 49ers game. So this will be a different way for people to consume some of their tournament strategy content. Anybody has any questions at all, just hit up me, hit up Terry. We should be able to help guide you in the right direction. I know Terry has been doing great showdown write-ups for the entire season. If you guys haven't caught those, those are free written articles up on awesomeo.com. Show today, sponsored by Jock Market. Shout out to them. Like this video, guys. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Helps us out a whole bunch. Terry, how are you feeling about these games this weekend? Things should be fun. It's a lot to live up to last weekend with that just ridiculous uh, slate of football that we had last week. But I think these are going to be two pretty good games. Like we were just saying, it's kind of interesting that the Cincinnati KC game comes first. That feels like it's going to be the better game, the more action-packed game. But that, I don't want to sell that San Francisco LA uh, Battle of California game short. That should be interesting too. Differently shaped games, given the game totals and what we're expecting. Uh, you know, these games to uh, to come out why uh, game script wise. But uh, yeah, it should be a really good weekend of football. I'm looking forward to it. And then are you looking forward to one of the games more than the other or just both these games look good to you on paper? I mean, if we're looking at the Vegas total, 54 and a half points on the on the board in that Cincinnati KC game is a little bit difficult to ignore for DFS purposes, for general excitement about football and thinking, uh, you know, this is a spot where we're going to get another shootout. That game last week was one of the best football games I've ever seen, quite frankly, just with that ridiculous scoring, particularly at the end of the game, begs the question why they don't just play at that pace throughout the entire game. I think these games should be higher scoring in general. But if I'm picking a game that I think is going to be more exciting, more interesting, lead to some more DFS scoring, it's that first one between Cincinnati and KC. It's got the bigger point spread, but I'm not really worried about it becoming a total wipeout. I think it stays close enough that we're just getting a really good competitive game all the way down with a lot of scoring. Yeah, and that's a game, too, where I kind of think people look at the at some of these games and be like, oh, the Chiefs are going to beat the Bengals. Most likely, yes, it's a seven-point spread. But I see people online already anointing the Chiefs as AFC champions, as NFL Super Bowl champions. But realistically, the Bengals are, what, plus 260 on the money line? You know, we're still looking at like a 28% chance they win at least according to the odds. Don't totally assume that that game has no chance of, of the Bengals winning. And we're going to talk about that game right now to start. And I think we should talk about the quarterbacks first from uh, just from a showdown perspective, because it is really hard to ignore the quarterbacks whenever it comes to these contests. And these are two of the best scoring fantasy quarterbacks in the league, Terry. Between Mahomes and Joe Burrow, which do you prefer for the showdown contest? Or do you think we should just be trying to jam both of them in as much as possible? So looking at the DraftKings board, it looks pretty clearly like it's Patrick Mahomes for DK showdowns. He's coming up 10.3% of the time optimal in the captain role uh, for 11-2 as his base salary. The question that I always come to when I'm rostering uh, for DK for showdown slates is, do I want to play these quarterbacks at all in that multiplier spot because of the impact that it has for salary? We see in looking back through a lot of the historical data in winning lineup combinations, the ones that really float to the top tend to roster skill players at the 
the captain spot and then get your quarterbacks into the flex roles where their salary doesn't cripple the rest of your lineup. And they can still, you can still take advantage of their point totals, still take advantage of stacking them. But if I'm deciding between the two, whether it's in the captain role or in the util spot, I think it's Patrick Mahomes. It's kind of a no brainer. It's kind of a cop-out answer. The team with the higher implied point total, the team with the dynamic weapons. Although I really like Joe Burrow. I like the weapons that he's got on offense. We've talked about it on other shows. You and I, uh, the three receivers that he's got plus throwing CJ Uzoma in there in the mix. Who's gotten, I think 14 targets over the uh, course of the playoffs so far. Joe Burrow's not without weapons, but given a relatively close price uh, difference at 11-2 to 10-4 on DK, I just lean toward Pat Mahomes. The numbers are bearing it out. On the FanDuel slate, it's even more stark. Patrick Mahomes, 14.5% optimal, the top flex, uh, the top captain option, MVP option on the FanDuel slate. Just coming in uh, a lot more frequently optimal than Joe Burrow, who comes up at 4.3%. Major difference there, and you don't have any of those salary worries at the uh, FanDuel site because they don't multiply the salary nicely. So. That's the site that I like to get to quarterbacks in the uh, in the MVP spot a little bit more frequently because you can just ride with that uh, that point multiplier. So I like Patrick Mahomes better on site to site, and I think Joe Burrow is more viable on the FanDuel slate in a capital role. Yeah, and here's the issue I have with rostering quarterbacks too often, at least on DK on the 1.5x spot. Unless it's a really heavy rushing quarterback, you know, like Lamar Jackson or like that, and I know Patrick Mahomes does have the ability to rush for 50 yards and a touchdown or two or something like that. But in general, here's what happens with a lot of quarterbacks. If they have a big game, it generally means one of the receivers had a big game too. And particularly on DraftKings, where it's the one full point PPR bonus, it just isn't doesn't seem too frequent to me that quarterbacks end up being the outsourced choice relative to what their ownership is in the captain spot. And I don't I don't want to put you on the, the spot with this. But I remember that you and Nolan had been digging up at one point some of the mm-hmm. uh, historical trends of millionaire maker winner lineups or first place winning lineups in those big showdown contests. Do you remember offhand some of the data that we saw from, from quarterbacks in, in that, in that, uh, in that research? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's something that I break down in every one of the showdown articles. I try and find the sample of games. We've got a two plus year sample of uh, showdown slates and I try and zero in on some games with similar totals, similar look and feel, and just see, you know, if I can suss out what came through. And it really is the biggest trend that we saw the, throughout the entire course of the season, regardless of the size of the sample, uh, or excuse me, of the uh, size of the point total was that quarterbacks are much more frequently optimal in the flex roles when it's all said and done. Uh, going through the games for, uh, for today, it was coming up, you know, you can find little things, uh, like in the higher point totals, you know, some somewhat obvious, the defense and kickers become even less relevant, uh, where in the lower point total that we'll get to later, they become a little bit more relevant, but quarterback specifically, they win here and there, uh, in terms of being in the captain spot, but they are almost always included in winning lineups in the flex spot. So if we're looking at the entire sample, it's 90 plus data points. We only have. Out of 90-something data points, only nine of those lineups had no quarterback whatsoever in them. So that's a major, major indicator that quarterbacks are just extremely important for these lineup builds, but that we want to get them in the flex role because when we look at that same sample and we sort by quarterbacks in the captain spot in winning lineups, only 17 out of 97 of these lineups included a quarterback in the captain spot. 
So you can really see the impact they're in almost every single winning lineup, but so infrequently in the captain role. And that's just because of that downstream effect of that multiplied salary. Quarterbacks are almost always the most expensive players on the slate. We see oddball ones where, you know, a lower end quarterback, a game manager type guy comes in at 8,000 and that skews the paradigm a little bit. That means you can play him a little bit more without worrying about the multiplier, but usually that guy's not going to be the best quarterback in the world. So he tends not to flow to the top anyway. So it's just really, really strong indicators that we want to roster these quarterbacks primarily in the flex spot for DK showdowns for FanDuel for Yahoo. That's totally off the board because they don't multiply the salary. <laughs> and then something else to consider too, with FanDuel is even though I do think it's more, and now we're just kind of discussing, discussing general strategy, which mm-hmm. I think definitely has some, some value and utility to people listening. Here's one thing that I do have with an issue often with some of the quarterbacks in the, uh, the, the MVP spot on FanDuel it's it's not uncommon to see somebody like Patrick Mahomes is 40% owned in the MVP spot. We see that a lot with whoever the highest projected player is because there's no salary cap concerns. You just play whoever in the 1.5X spot. So while I often think that you're more likely to see the MVP spot be a quarterback on FanDuel relative to the captain spot on DK, oftentimes I feel the ownership isn't worth the squeeze based on how popular they are. And let's say you're playing a Lamar Jackson slate and he's the highest scoring quarterback or this weekend with Patrick Mahomes. Cool. Maybe you hit the optimal lineup with Mahomes and then you just split with a ton of people and it's not as profitable as it would be if you chase some more unique lineups. Yeah, absolutely. And we can see that borne out on our FanDuel board if we're looking at that uh, in terms of the optimal lineup rate, 14.5% from Mahomes, but he's owned 17% of the time. So that's coming in with a negative leverage if we're doing our leverage score the same way we do it on some of the other tools where you know you can get to some of these skill players at a positive leverage score. And especially the ones that correlate with those quarterback plays, I just typically like getting to those skill players in the multiplier spots and then take my shots with the quarterbacks in the, in the flex roles, even on the site where where they don't multiply the, the salary, like you're getting at, you do have that ownership factor. So you do want to differentiate. And especially in showdown, we see so frequently, you know, 37 lineups of the same combination all tied at the top. And you're just chopping down to, it's still nice to get paid, but you're not getting what you should be getting for winning a massive field tournament with a couple hundred thousand entries in it. You want to maximize that. So when you win, you want to win big. And I think the way to do that is to get away from the heavy ownership play. So I'm totally with you on that. I think, uh, you know, staying away from the negatively leveraged and just the highly owned in general plays like uh, like Pat Mahomes, like uh, you know Joe Mixon maybe in those multiplier spots. Just get different. And you can do that with Joe Burrow, honestly, on this slate on FanDuel. He's only 5% owned in the captain spot. Only 4.3% optimal, which does put him at negative leverage. But just by the raw ownership, I'd be okay with going to Burrow there. Um, and then, you know, correlate his skill players. I like the idea of putting the skill players still put Jamar Chase in the MVP spot, put Burrow in the back end and play it that way. But I think Burrow's got a little bit more flexibility on that uh, FanDuel slate today or tomorrow. Right. And we do have a super chat here from our guy, Nick, the picker. If you guys don't follow Nick on Twitter, uh, you got to get every time I look at his Twitter account, he's got like another thousand followers. Also, he's writing betting content for us now over at awesome.com. He has a question for us that he asked and just wants to get our opinion. Tara, you opinionated on plus 600 bet on the, uh, that, that's the odds for both teams to score in every quarter for the Bengals Chiefs game. doesn't have to be a touchdown, just they put any points up on the board. How do you feel about the plus 600 odds there? Do you have any lean one way or the other? It seems like a nice bet. I feel like maybe that should be a little longer. That's not a play I've ever looked at before in my life, though. So I honestly have no idea where that line really would come down, where that price would come down. It feels like it should be a little bit longer to me, but I can't really say where, you know, historically where that would come in. 
I'll say this. The, the first time these teams played this year, they played in the regular season. The Bengals won 34-31. Really high-scoring game, 65 total points, and the total for this game is 54.5. It didn't hit in that game, and that was in a game with 65 points scored. I could see it happening, obviously. These are two of the better offenses in football, but I do think the Chiefs' defense is a little bit underrated. I know that might not necessarily play out after looking at what happened last week. It's like, hey, look, Gabriel Davis had 200 yards and 7 million touchdowns against the Chiefs last week, and he was wide open on every single play. But for most of the season, the Chiefs' defense was a little bit underrated, and the offense was a little bit overrated. They were, they were a really strong defense in the regular season. It was a little bit of a down year for the offense. Obviously, as good as the Chiefs' offense is, even in a down year, they're in contention here for the Super Bowl. But I agree with you. I think that's a bet that probably should be like 11 or 12 to 1 as opposed to 6 to 1. Yeah, yeah. It just seems like I just pulled it up for last week's game. It did get there. But you're talking about in the first and the second quarter and even the third, there was limited scoring by each team. Each team only got in the end zone once in the first, once in the second. Then there were three field goals on the KC side and a touchdown in the third by Buffalo. But all of that scoring didn't really come toward the until the end of the game. So kind of scraped by in that last game. Yeah, I feel like that should be longer, but again, it's not one that I uh, that I typically look at. All right, let's move on over to the running backs now. I think we've covered the quarterbacks pretty thoroughly in terms of strategy and how we're approaching those guys. And obviously, we don't have to go through all of the exact same strategy when we hit on the next game later because the, the same points will remain relevant. But let's talk about these teams now, specifically at the running back position. And I think from a showdown perspective, the Chiefs are more interesting to look at than the Bengals because the Bengals kind of like, hey, Joe Mixon. Good guy to get to in a single game slate. I think we're all aware of that. But Terry, how do we handle the running back situation for the Kansas City Chiefs when we could see Darrell Williams, Jarek McKinnon, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire all be involved in the offense? Yeah, and that's the spot where I'm going to basically rely on what we're getting in terms of our projections, in terms of our probability metrics with the salary factored in. So one of the guys who's most frequently optimal on the DK slate is Jarek McKinnon. He's coming up 11.5% optimal in the captain spot, 44.6% optimal in the util spot, and he's positively leveraged in both roles. So that's kind of interesting to me at 5,000. The only guy who comes up more frequently optimal in the captain spot is Tyler Boyd, who only costs 4,800. Neither one of them are cracking 10% ownership. That's kind of what I'm looking for in some of these captain plays on DK. It might not be the most frequent to hit. If we're talking about the top scoring percentage, you get Jarek McKinnon coming in only 3.3% probability of being the top flat out top fantasy scorer here. But in terms of the optimal lineup at that cheap a price, I'm kind of intrigued by that spot. So I can definitely get there. Like you you said on the other side, Joe Mixon, nine grand slots in 4.8% optimal. He's under 10% ownership. I love getting to Joe Mixon in all different scenarios. I would have a boatload of them, but McKinnon is the more interesting guy between those two on the board. Uh, as far as the rest of the Chiefs running backs, Darrell Williams limited in practice. I think he missed practice Thursday and Friday. So still a bit of a question mark there. And just based on what we're seeing on the numbers for Clyde Edwards-Alaire at 7,000, not coming up nearly as optimal as McKinnon for a lesser, a lesser price, not coming up nearly as uh, probable as being the top scorer, only 0.3% probable of being the top scorer versus McKinnon's 3.3%. So even at a limited rate, that is definitely pretty stark. If we're talking in terms of being the top two to top six uh, scorer, it's 35.8% McKinnon and uh, I lost where he's on the page, 9.6% for uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So it's pretty firmly Jarek McKinnon in that question for me. Yeah. And do you feel the same? Also something else that, that makes this a different situation, DK, We've got a $2,000 salary savings on Jarek McKinnon compared to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. 
I kind of think we have an interesting pivot to make here over on FanDuel looking at the two because on FanDuel, Jarek McKinnon is more expensive than Claude Edwards Lair and he's picking up 3x the ownership. Now, McKinnon's clearly been the guy for them in the playoffs. Clyde Edwards-Lair also missed the first game that the Chiefs played in the playoffs. But on FanDuel, does CEH look at all different to you when you consider that he is cheaper as picking up a third of the ownership? And is there a chance that we just see more of a workload from him this weekend? Because keep in mind, even though he wasn't the workhorse last week, he was pretty effective. Seven carries for 60 yards. He was targeted twice in the past game. That's a lot of efficiency. On FanDuel, do you see any merit to pivoting off of McKinnon and getting to CEH? Yeah, I mean, since we're largely looking at these guys based on a salary uh, a salary prism, uh, for lack of a better word, in, in figuring out which one of these guys has more value, I wish it was a little bit more savings than just that 500. It's just like one incremental tick down the way they do the showdown uh, pricing here. So it's not amazing salary savings for the difference that we're sacrificing in some of the optimal rates. But at the higher price, McKinnon doesn't come up nearly as optimal as he does across town on DK. So we're talking about sacrificing from 6.9% in the captain spot to 1.8% optimal. It's dicey, but I think if you can do something valuable with that 500 bucks, if that gets you from... um, from a Joe Mixon to a Jamar Chase, and you think that has a lot of value to you, let's say that's a, the first $500 difference that I spotted, um, You know, then yeah, you can go to that and you can take advantage of it. It's just the lack of the frequent uh, appearances in the optimal lineup rate, 12.3% in the util spot. It's not great for Edwards Alaire, but if you do have the expectation that maybe he sees a few more than the seven touches he got based on that performance, then yeah, I could see there being a little bit more value where you're paying a little bit less for him. I, I don't have an issue with it. And then as for Joe Mixon, I think here's the conversation point that we should have with him. We could use this transition to wide receiver also. If given the choice, would you rather be paying up for Joe Mixon or the top wide receivers in this game? Where if we look at Joe Mixon, at least on on uh, DK, 9K, the top wide receivers, Jamar Chase, 10,000, Tyree Kill, 10,800. Over on FanDuel, Mixon is 12.5 compared to 13,000 for Jamar Chase, 13.5 for Tyree Kill. So it seems the opportunity cost to playing Joe Mixon, assuming we're going to be on the quarterbacks to some extent here, is that it limits our ability to get exposure to the top wideouts. So which of the top high-end skill position players between Hill, Chase, Mixon, and I guess we could throw Kelsey in the mix too and kind of loop him in because tight end, but you know, whatever. He basically serves as a wide receiver for the function of this. Which of those high-end skill position players is the highest priority for you, Terry? So just going by our board here, which I just sorted for uh, the util leverage spot, we see a lot of the receivers floating to the top, but they're not necessarily the uh, the premium payup guys because it's, again, going with uh, with some of the salary factored in. So guys like Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Byron Pringle all come up more frequently optimal than a Joe Mixon than a Travis Kelsey. But Joe Mixon and Travis Kelsey both come up more frequently optimal in the util roles than any of the premium receivers, any of your Tyree Kills, your Jamar Chases, uh, who drop down a, a little bit when we sort by leverage. Their optimal rate, I, I misspoke, it's uh, by leverage there. Their optimal rates are strong when we're talking about uh, talking about those guys, but still not quite to the degree that the cheaper guys are. So I think if I'm paying up, I kind of like getting to Joe Mixon in some spots. He's going to be really popular, 35.4% in the util role, 7.6% in the captain spot on DK. Um, but that's a little bit less than Jamar Chase for a little bit less money and similar probabilities with a little bit of leverage on it. So I kind of like getting to that, but I think the the majority of my lineups are going to be filled up by some of these positive leverage plays and then just sticking in whatever fits in terms of the higher cost, the higher upside guys. 
Yeah, just looking at my builds right now on DraftKings, I'm not quite at the field on Tyree Kill and Jamar Chase. They're very popular, and I do find the price point a little restrictive to get to because I prefer the quarterbacks to Tyree Kill or Jamar Chase. Do you view them the same way? Because at least right now, we've got Tyree Kill projected to be 41% on the utility, Jamar Chase 36%. While I'm still fairly high on both these guys, it's just not as quite as much as the field because it's lofty numbers for guys that are expensive. Yeah, and honestly, when we're talking about wanting to get to parts of these passing games, the the first and easiest thing that you can do when you click the quarterback is just skip down to his secondary or his tertiary receiver and put that guy in instead of one of the premium guys. It's so tempting, and that's what you know when you're when you're tempted to make a decision, you have to think of it in terms of that's probably what Joe Public out there is doing, and we want to be sharper than Joe Public when we make these choices. So yeah, just pivoting down for a little bit of ownership. If you want to click on Jamar Chase, you know you can drop down to Tyler Boyd for forty eight hundred as compared to ten thousand and thirty percent ownership. It's not the greatest ownership savings, but you're gaining a lot in terms of the optimal line up rate versus that ownership. You get uh, Jamar Chase, 35% optimal, 36% owned in the util spot versus Tyler Boyd with that salary savings, 41% optimal, 30% owned, gives an 11.1 leverage score, one of the top options in the util. It just makes sense to get to some of those differentiated picks because you're saving on a little bit of ownership. You're getting to different plays with salary that you can put unique combinations together where the guy who just went Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, or Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill doesn't have those options of available to him. And that's why those cheaper guys end up more frequently optimal as well. Yeah. And then one other thing, because I, I actually do think the Bengals situation is kind of sing, similar to the Chiefs situation in this standpoint, in the builds that I'm making, I'm getting to Tyler Boyd and T Higgins more than I am Jamar Chase. And then for the Chiefs, I'm getting to Travis Kelsey more than I'm getting to Tyree Kill. I don't really understand a couple of things. I don't understand why, why Travis Kelsey is $2,000 cheaper than Tyree Kill. I don't understand why Tyree Kill is more popular than Kelsey when he is that much more expensive. I view both of them as kind of the 1A, 1B in terms of the, the top receiving options for the Kansas City Chiefs. Do you view the dynamic between Kelsey and Hill the same that I do, whereas give me the lesser ownership and the lesser salary on Kelsey when I'm building a bunch of lineups? I'm getting more exposure to him than Hill. Does that seem correct to you? Yeah, absolutely. If that if that's the ownership discrepancy that's you know still on the board tomorrow, um, that's a spot I want to attack. Just looking at what they've done for the playoffs, both play two games. Both have uh, excuse me, Tyreek Hill has 18 targets to Kelsey's 16 targets. Hill has caught uh, 16 of those. Kelsey's caught 13 of his. 207 yards versus 204 yards. They've gotten in the end zone twice each. Kelsey's averaging more per catch, 15.7 yards per uh, per reception. So just based on all those numbers, they're the same. They're 1A, 1-1-A, like you said. So I'm happy to get to the guy who just comes up lower owned. And if I can do that while saving money, absolutely sign me up. I think that's a, a very good call. All right. So we've talked about the Bengals receivers here. We've talked about the Chiefs receivers. Are there any punt plays you're looking at that are that are really appealing? And I guess we could throw anybody below Tyler Boyd. We'll consider that to kind of be the cutoff here. So uh, Miko Hardman, DeMarcus, Demarcus Robinson, they would both be guys in the mix. Or are there any of the like $200, $800 guys that stand out to you just because they enable us to pay up for so many of the stars in this game? Yeah, so for me, it would probably be about those long shot uh, Chiefs receivers. You know, get to some Nicole Harmon, get to some Demarcus Robinson. Hope you get that uh, that big play that differentiates those guys. They're going to get some ownership. They're owned. Uh 
Hardman coming up around 15%, uh, Robinson around 10%. They're low-end guys. They're, they're not extremely likely to come through for you. But what we're looking for is that kind of dart throw, that one that uh, you know, not a lot of people are going to have that's going to differentiate you. And getting Demarcus Robinson into a lineup at three grand is going to help you pay for something else, a unique lineup combination that not everybody's going to get to. I talked about before when we were talking about the nature of, uh, of the, the game total and the point spread that defense and kicker not necessarily as valuable in this kind of a format. And I don't really think that that's something I'm going to be looking to get to here. So they'd be kind of off the board. Um, you know, you could throw Darrell Williams into that conversation at only 1200 on the, uh, on the DK slate, assuming that he's a full go. And you're just kind of hoping that he gets that one touch that uh, turns into a touchdown near the end zone. Maybe it's a lower scoring game than we're expecting, but I just think he's so unlikely based on what we're seeing right now in our numbers that I don't really want to mess with it. And beyond that level, there's just not a lot on the board that's uh, really standing out from those, you know, extremely cheap plays, like you mentioned. So not really at that level, I'm probably just kind of looking to hang with those, uh, those, uh, you know, mediocre chiefs receivers and just see if I can put together unique combinations. And then just one other skill position player that I think we should discuss here is CJ Uzoma, tight end for the Cincinnati Bengals, who, if you look through his box, was kind of crap for fantasy for the entirety of the regular season. He did not score double-digit fantasy points from week seven. So at the end of week, week seven, he was good. Didn't score double-digit fantasy points the rest of the regular season. Now, in the playoffs, he's had a couple of good games in a row. We've also seen an increase in his target share. Eight targets last week, six targets the week before. I don't find myself getting to very much CJ Uzoma on Fandle or DraftKings just because of where he exists in that mid-range of the pricing tier. To me, this feels like a slip where I very much want to be stars and scrubs to pay up for the quarterbacks, to pay up for Joe Mixon, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, etc., so I'm not really getting to CJ Uzoma. Am I missing out by not playing CJ Uzoma in a chunk of lineups? Probably not. It's it's you know it's not something that's uh, that's really really standing out. He's coming up around efficient ownership. He's not really a major play in the captain spot. He's fine. He needs to get in the end zone. The targets are encouraging. You mentioned he's 14 targets in the uh, in the playoffs so far. That puts him seventh overall out of everybody who's played in the playoffs so far. So, I mean, it's definitely interesting. Second on his team behind uh, only Jamar Chase, who's gotten 18 looks in the playoffs. So with the minor uptick in volume, the thought that maybe he gets one in the end zone again, there's definitely some value there. And when he's coming in at 16% ownership, if you can figure out a spot where he's going to help you differentiate, maybe you're putting both tight ends into one of these, maybe you're you know leaving some salary on the table, but going to CJ Uzoma, which would be a differentiated play. If people are leaving salary on the table, you're thinking they're probably going to, you know, some, some starsy scrubsy kinds of builds where that would be kind of from the mid range. So maybe if you can figure out a way to use him as a differentiator, it's valuable. But I think out of all the skill players we're talking about, he's probably the least likely guy to really break you. Yeah, and then uh, I also want to address, we'll talk about the kickers, and it's hard to have too many strong kicker takes. Generally, they do rate out pretty well in our tools. If you need a salary-saving option, you can do worse than kickers. I want to address something that uh, Adobe Star had said in the YouTube chat where he said that we're downplaying Hill uh, for, for two games. First of all, we're talking about the showdown slate, not the two-game slate. I still have exposure to Tyree Kill. I didn't say that I'm playing 0% of him. I just said I'm playing more of Travis Kelsey. And relative to ownership, if you have to choose between the two of them, I prefer Travis Kelsey at less ownership and $200 less for the showdown slate. It doesn't mean that I'm playing 0% Tyree Kill. It just means in the build I have right now, I have 30% Tyree Kill and the field is 40%. 
Therefore, I'm underweight to the field and I'm going to be rooting against him. I'm overweight to Travis Kelsey right now. These single game slates, particularly play a lot of lineups. It's not as simple as liking this guy, disliking this guy. Everybody likes Tyree Kill. Well, maybe not as kid as what that that whole situation. But you know, in terms of Tyree Kill, in how we view him for a showdown contest, it's it's relative to ownership, and that's how I'm viewing these guys when I'm talking about my builds. Absolutely, I I find myself frequently leaving my favorite player in a showdown format off the off of lineups or off of you know the the majority of my lineups because of how popular he is. We need to differentiate with this. We were talking about it just before with the ridiculous uh, frequency with which we see thirty guys tied at the top or guys and gals uh, tied at the top with these different lineups splitting a prize pool. You need to differentiate to be able to take down a showdown slate on your own. And the way to do that is by foregoing some of these star level plays that everybody, every Joe public out there is going to click on. Tyree Kill, 41.1% owned in the in the util spot, um, 10.2% owned in the captain spot, the second most popular captain, the second or third most popular util play, comes up third most frequent in, in terms of our two to six scoring. So he is 50% plus to be a two to six scorer. We're not saying by any means that he's a bad play. He is highly likely to be an important play. What we are saying is we want to be in those lineup builds that maybe don't have him quite as frequently as the public so that we can differentiate, so that we can access the top of the standings in the event that he doesn't connect for the vast majority of the public. All right, and Dobie, start with a follow-up. Tyree Kill and Chase have the highest upside on a one-game slate. Yeah, I agree with you. His upside is really significant. Yes. I think I think Dobie Travis Kelsey's it. upside is really significant. I think I think Patrick Mahomes' upside is really significant too. The question is, if you are building 150 lineups, do you want to have more or less than 40% Tyree Kill in the utility spot and 10% in the captain spot? So overall, Tyree Kill is going to be in over 50% of the field's lineups for the showdown slate tomorrow. I'm going to have less than I'm going to have less than 50. I'm still going to have them just less than less than 50. Uh, yeah, moving and, over and to just the- with the way that we expect them to be scoring and especially if you've got a guy like Kelsey on the board like we talked about 1-1A with these guys who's coming in lower owned you're just getting that natural leverage too by just not going there so if half the field goes down with this Tyreek Hill ship when he doesn't score for you well one of these other Chiefs is going to be scoring so you also get the bonus of being lifted by that let's say it's one of those weird ones where Michael Hardman gets in the end zone two times Tyreek Hill never gets there Travis Kelsey gets there you've got Kelsey and Hardman you've got a major advantage over 50% of the field. That's half the entries. And it just makes sense, guys. You got to think about these things this way. It's not like we're saying that Tyreek Hill is not a good play. He's a major, major play on this, on this board. He's one of the most frequently or one of the most likely guys to put up a top score. That's not what we're saying. It's important to listen to the details. Harry, I have massive news. I'm trying to figure out what, Uh what filter I should put on here for this, but I don't know. There is Tom Brady officially retired. From the NFL, really? Tom Brady stepping away. He kind of hinted at it in the last few weeks or not last few weeks, but, you know, this week and then also the time leading up to leading up to the, the Buccaneers exit from the playoffs said that he thinks he owes it to his kids, his wife. And we know how much he likes to mouth kiss his son. This was something that he, <laughs> he looks like he was ready to do. Step away from the game of football. So Tom Brady will not be playing next year. That is uh, that is pretty significant. That not going to spend wild. too much time on that because it's not going to impact tomorrow's games. But I do think it's something that uh, was at least worth bringing up on a football show. Any uh, yeah, instant absolutely. reaction from you? 
it surprised. I, I even with all the stories, even with everything, I kind of was writing it off to noise. I really thought he would be back. I didn't think he would go out in a losing year. I thought he would be back to take one more swing at it, take the retirement farewell tour, and all of the things that come with that. So it's a little surprising. I'm very curious to see what happens with the quarterback situation down there now. Uh, yeah, Kyle Trask. I assume. I assume it's going to be Kyle Trask. They they brought. What do they pick him in the second or third round last year? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I forget I forget which, but yeah, I know they've got him there. I'm just wondering, you know, maybe bringing a veteran for him to learn under for another year, another two years, something like that. Do they chase an Aaron Rodgers now? You know, I know uh, all the hot rumors are that he's going to Denver, but with that job open, with much better weapons down there, kind of enticing. Yeah, it's uh, certainly going to be a super interesting situation to keep an eye on. You know what else is something interesting to keep an eye on, Terry? So I know you like jock market. Sponsor of today's show. If you guys are unfamiliar with Jock Market, download the app. You get signed up using the promo code Osmo. Get up to a $50 bonus on your first deposit. Also, they have a $100 first market guarantee for NFL and NBA. So let's say you play in Jock Market, you make that $50 deposit, you get the $50 bonus. Maybe strike out your first time. Well, they've got a $100 first market guarantee. So they will refund you for that first slate. Different way to play daily fantasy sports. It's a stock market, but for athletes, IPO period, where you bid on the players, they can buy and sell shares of the players afterwards. It's something that Eric and I do a, a live after lock show for basketball once a week. It's a fun site. You guys should check it out and use that promo code Awesome when you sign up. Uh, Terry, any other thoughts you have on this Bengals Chiefs game? If not, we can move over to the uh, to the primetime game, which oddly does not feature the Chiefs. Yeah, I think we can uh, we can slide on over to the primetime game now, which uh, it's going to be interesting to talk through without the benefit of our uh, our tools in terms of the optimal rates and all that. But uh, yeah, let's hash through that one and see what comes up. All right, so let's head on over to the Rams 49ers game, and here's something that makes this game much different than the first game. We have Matthew Stafford, elite fantasy quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo, less so. Part of it because he doesn't have rushing upside. Part of it also because they don't allow him to throw the ball off that, all that often. Even in two playoff wins, these are the fantasy outputs for Jimmy Garoppolo. Four fantasy points and six. Leaves a little bit to be desired. On a one-game slate, Terry, how are you going to be handling Jimmy G? Um, pretty delicately. I don't think he's going to come up all that frequently. I'm just running a little crunch here in the background. So we've got some talking points for it. And just looking at the captain role, he's coming up 2.5% in the captain role in, uh, in these crunches landing in the flex role quite a bit more than that 32.5% in the flex role, which kind of makes sense, you know, based on what I was saying earlier about the value that quarterbacks typically have much more so in the flex spot, but at only 9,000, that is a little bit less impactful putting him in that, in that captain spot should be a little bit more viable, but just based on being so much lower projected than all of the other quarterbacks, it doesn't really make sense. So he just drops back based on that. If you're somebody who is for some reason projecting Jimmy Garoppolo to have a massive game, come out firing on, on all cylinders and, you know, pass the hell out of the ball and not, and ignore the ground game, which our numbers certainly aren't showing that if you're thinking that you can get away with putting Jimmy G into more captain shares than the field is probably getting him because of that salary discount. I just don't see it. So where I get to him, it'll be in the flex spot, but I'm really not all that excited about getting to him very much uh, at all. I would probably be below the field here. Yeah, and then part of the issue, too, is it's not like you're getting some crazy discount on him just because he's a quarterback. 12-5 on FanDuel, his utility price on DK is 9000 I just don't know what the realistic upside is for him, and there are a lot of players in this contest that have upside. 
So I'm just going to ask you a quick question, including the two playoff games. How many times do you think Jimmy Garoppolo scored 25 plus fantasy points? Because that's probably somewhere around the kind of upside we would need from him to land in an optimal lineup, especially if he's the QB. So Terry, how many games do you think Garoppolo 25 plus fantasy points this year? Twice. Total guys. Uh, once. Ah. Once. How many times do you think he's had 20 or more? Twice. Three times. Ah. It just, yeah, he just wasn't know. a good fantasy option this year. I think from a real-life perspective, he's maybe a little bit underrated because if you put Jimmy Garoppolo in a system where he's a good defense, he's a lot of good skill position players, he could not mess up. He could not screw yeah. up, and he could just manage a team to a victory. But he's not going to very often win a game by himself. And that, to me, makes me think he's just not a very viable option for a one-game showdown slate. So I'm going to look elsewhere. Matthew Stafford, too, if I'm choosing one of the two quarterbacks, clearly high over priority. Where do you stand on Stafford for this game when we don't necessarily have to play two quarterbacks here? Does that make Stafford that much more appealing when we have the salary cap for not prioritizing Jimmy G? Yeah, I expect he's going to be really popular, which is the one thing we talked about what the salary multiplier for him would do in that captain spot. So he's going to land mostly in the flex role for me where I'm getting to a lot of his skill players. There's one you know predominant skill player of his that we'll talk about, I'm sure, in a second. Um, but I'll probably get to a lot of him in the flex role. I'll be curious to see where it comes down in terms of my ownership for him versus the field. That's one where it's going to be really critical with our uh, numbers when they come out in terms of his leverage score, his optimal rate in the flex spot. But I expect to have a lot of him. I kind of want to focus on that passing game and uh, you know get to a lot of combinations of whether it's him and Cup, whether it's him and uh, you know the tight end Tyler Higby comes up a decent amount at his price. I really like Odell Beckham still, so I'll be getting to some shares of Odell. So it's a matter of you know who I'm combining him with and what fits around it, but I will definitely have a, a much bigger share of Matt Stafford than I do of, uh, of Jimmy G. All right. So let's hit on the running backs now and start with the 49er side. The, the Rams side, I think could open up some discussion, but the 49er side, Eli Mitchell, crazy, crazy workload as of late. The matchup far from ideal. The 49ers are underdogs. That typically doesn't lend itself well to running backs. Also, Eli Mitchell hasn't been massively involved in the running game. Also, Difficult matchup against the Rams over a really strong run defense, but does that get overlooked? Can we overlook it just based on volume here? Because carries for Eli Mitchell in recent games, 17, 27, 21, 21, 22, 27, 27, huge workload going to Eli Mitchell, reasonable price tag at 8,200. How are you going to be approaching Eli Mitchell in a game where the game script isn't ideal, but the workload seems to be pretty stable? Yeah, it's one where I'm hoping that that exact narrative kind of drives down his ownership. Maybe the public doesn't get quite as excited about him as they should be with that kind of volume. And maybe it's a spot that we can attack as a positively leveraged, slightly under-owned opportunity. I think he'll go off at 30-some-odd percent ownership in the flex roles, you know, 8 to 10% in the, uh, in the captain role. But I think he will have value there. And one of the things that I'm looking at in, in that spot, out of all four teams, San Francisco, by far our highest number in our game script adjusted rush percentage, 45.1%, where all the other teams are in the mid-30s in that. So we're just expecting a lot more volume on the ground for San Francisco, even factoring in that they're, they're the underdog. Uh, lower game total favors the, uh, the running backs to a little bit of a degree here. So for all those different reasons, I think it makes sense to get over the field or at least where I expect the field to be in terms of that Eli Mitchell ownership. So yeah, that's a I want to make. I'm interested in getting to the Rams passing side of things and getting to the Niners running side of things. Probably a little bit of an obvious statement to make, but I think it follows through on uh, logically on this one. 
Let's talk about the Rams side now because Cam Akers is going to be the most popular running back in all likelihood. He also has a favorable price point. We have him projected really well. Here's the one concern I have with Cam Akers. He fumbled twice last. Well, he was also pretty inefficient last week. He had 24 carries, just 48 yards. 24 carries, very nice. Two yards per carry, less nice. Two fumbles, lesser, less nice. I don't even know what the next word is, but not, not ideal. Is there any chance we see more of Sony Michelle in this week due to some of Cam Akers' struggles last weekend? It wouldn't totally shock me. I hate making guesses at stuff like that, right? I hate getting caught up in the narratives and start to, you know, guessing and, and, and taking ourselves away from plays that do make a lot of sense based on the numbers. But that's one where it is kind of creeping in around the edges, right? We saw some trust for Sony Michelle in this offense while Akers was out. He's a fairly talented guy. I don't think it's totally out of the question that he would see a few additional carries, maybe get a couple of those goal line looks. Maybe he becomes the guy who gets the ball in the end zone. Even if Akers is getting the majority of the carries and the majority of the touches, maybe Sony just gets the right touches. So that's a little bit of a concern. And just looking at uh, some of our ownership numbers from the main slate, and based on the pricing and everything, we expect Cam Akers to be way, way more popular than Sonny Michelle. So if that's just a direct decision that you're making, saying in a few lineups, it doesn't have to be too many, where you're just saying, hey, I'm going to plug Sonny Michelle in here, and I'm just going to try and pick that situation off. I think that's probably going to be a valuable play here. And I think Cam Akers is going to be explosively popular on this showdown slate, just based on where he's coming up in this crunch, based on what that price looks like, both in the captain spot and in the flex spot. He's going to be extremely popular because of how he makes things come together. So yeah, if you can get away from somebody that I expect would be pretty negatively leveraged with a direct pivot for his potential scoring, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the upside's clearly there. I just wonder if, so. because we don't have Sony Michelle project for very many fantasy points right now, nor do we with, with Daryl Henderson, who is expected to return from injury reserve. Maybe he plays a role this week. We've seen teams do weird things with their running backs. Just kind of a gut feeling. I think this is a good spot to differentiate a little bit off of what's likely to be a Cam Akers. Mix some exposure to Sony Michelle, assuming Daryl Henderson ends up playing. Mix him into some lineups as well. I think these are low-owned darts that could end up playing a more prominent role this week because how could a team feel comfortable giving Cam Akers big touches in a playoff game after he lost two fumbles just a week ago? Yeah, absolutely. And wasn't all that effective on the ground to your point uh, with the two and change yards per uh, per touch either. So it's definitely a situation. They've got to be at least concerned about it in meetings this week, right? It's definitely something that they've talked about, whether that was decided and they come out of that saying, all right, this is how it's going to break down. We're going to give Sony some looks. We're going to give Daryl Henderson some looks. Who knows? But on the idea that it is possible that they've talked about that, like I said, I don't love getting swept up in these things, but that's one that it kind of makes sense. When it makes sense, when you can logically walk it down that street and get to that conclusion and they're the direct pivots, like it's not like we're saying, all right, I think they're going to throw the ball a little bit more. So I'm going to go to the wide out instead of the running back based on uh, you know his, his, uh, his having fumbled. We're going to guys who will directly benefit if he's not the guy getting the carries. So I think it makes sense. It's not something I would go completely haywire with and, and roster way too many shares of, but here and there, making that direct pivot and then seeing what you can do with the money definitely makes some sense here. Yeah, I think this is one of the more interesting spots of the entire weekend, not just for the single game slates, but also for the full two game slate because sure. I really don't know what to expect from the Rams running back situation. I will say this, if Cam Akers ends up being massively popular tomorrow in ownership projections, how popular he gets is going to make me more apt to pivot to some of these other cheaper Rams wide receivers. We're going to see Cam Akers like 
70% owned in the two game slate or, you know, 60, 70% on the showdown slate. I'm going to take some shots with the other guys. Is it because I think that they're more likely to have a big game than Cam Akers? No, it's just because I kind of view it as a good ownership leverage point. That's how I'm viewing it. The higher own the Cam Akers is, the more apt I am to pivot off them because I think there's variance in the situation. By the way, also, guys, before we move and talk about uh, wide receivers, if you guys are into sports betting, which it's becoming legal in a lot of states now, it's just legalized in New York, Louisiana. We have some really good deals below in the link uh, in the description box below in the in the YouTube video. BetMGM, if you're looking to sign up there, we've got stuff like a thousand dollar risk free bet. There's also uh, a, a promotion over on BetMGM where you bet ten dollars and you win two hundred if any team scores a touchdown this weekend. Just basically free money being given away. All stuff you should be taking advantage of as sports betting becomes legalized in your state because books are just giving away money looking for people to sign up. Let's hit on the wide receiver position now, Terry. And Cooper Cup, what is there to say about him? He's going to score a whole bunch of fantasy points. If you have the salary cap, play Cooper Cup. I've been overweight to Cooper Cup on basically every single slate so far this year, whether it's showdown, whether it's full slates, you know, night slates, whatever it is, I'm playing Cooper Cup. Are you willing to try to talk me off Cup at all? No. I'm not. I think it makes all the sense in the world. I think we go to him uh, early and often here, build him into that captain spot where you can, where it makes sense, and you can build a good lineup with him in that role. Uh, he was one of my groups that I put into the showdown article today with a few suggestions for maybe trying to differentiate with a group that includes a lot of the positively leveraged players or the guys that I was expecting to be lower owned and positively leveraged. So you can kind of rope those guys off, make some lineups that are a little bit less likely to be duplicated, and you can get some interesting constructions. He's going to be explosively popular on this slate. There's no getting away from him. Everybody in the industry knows that he's the play. Um, and I think we just kind of have to ride with it and figure out ways to differentiate because he's that good, because he's that most that likely to be the top scorer here. I have no issues going to him. Yeah. I, the only thing that's somewhat restrictive is the salary. And then yeah. the question becomes, given how expensive he is on deep, FanDuel, it's a non-issue because we don't have to worry about the 1.5x salary in addition to the 1.5x multiplier how often do you view yourself paying up for cooper cup in the 1.5x on dk because it does come with a pretty you know a pretty hefty price with some opportunity cost yeah so i don't have any settings or anything built into this crunch that i just ran across 300 lineups acres came up by far the most frequently owned captain nearly 30 percent, 29 percent owned you got to go down seven places to get to Cooper Cup on this list, 7.3%. So maybe it's a situation where I start just kind of exploring these Cooper Cup lineups. I can click on it and start looking around it. All right, are they spending all the money? Are they spending the, the money in the right way? Are there situations where I can force some differentiation, some leverage into this? And does it make sense for me to try and target getting over the field on Cooper Cup in the captain role, particularly when it's kind of an anti-optimizer anti play? Everybody who's building with Fantasy Cruncher is going to get fewer Cooper Cup captain lineups than some of these others, than Cam Akers, than uh, Debo Samuel, than uh, probably uh, Kittle in this uh, role. I got to go back to the screen to see how they sorted out. Yeah, those were the three guys, uh, three of the guys that were above them. Higby and Stafford also coming up above them. So just kind of as an anti-optimizer play, maybe it makes sense to try and get in there and figure out manually where we can differentiate some of these cup lineups, get to them a little bit beyond the field. If the field's getting to them 10-ish percent at the captain spot, can I get to 20% and have viable lineups? I don't know, but I'd like to find out because I think that would be pretty advantageous if we can get there. Yeah, it's it's so hard for me to get away from Cooper Cup, especially when I'm not really looking to play Jimmy G that much on this slate. The running backs are not particularly expensive. 
the only guy on this slate that's super expensive from a skill position standpoint outside of Cooper Cup is Debo Samuel. And I strongly, strongly prefer Cooper Cup to Debo Samuel. You and I talked about Debo Samuel when we were doing a show together the other day. Here's the issue I have with Debo Samuel. He's a wide receiver that plays a lot of running back and doesn't get targeted in the passing game. He's only been targeted more than six times once since week nine. It's hard to reliably say that that kind of gameplay has a lot of upside, particularly in a game where the 49ers might have to be throwing to play for, to, to get back in the game playing from behind. You know, we've seen some of these situations with the 49ers. It doesn't mean that Debo Samuel is guaranteed to get 10 plus targets just because they're playing from behind. And I think the opportunity cost of playing a lot of Debo Samuel is going to come at the expense of Cooper Cup. So I'm not getting to a ton of Debo Samuel in my build right now. I haven't played a bunch of Debo Samuel over the last few weeks as his price has gone up. Mixed results. Last week, I had none of him. It went really well. He had a crappy game for fantasy. The volume was there on the on the rushing standpoint. He carried the ball 10 times. But if he's going to be a guy that's rushing the ball 10 times, getting targeted four times in the passing game, you're going to need one or two rushing touchdowns out of him. And I just don't think that's reliable production. How do you view Debo for a one-game slate? Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I mean, he's obviously a really skilled guy. I'm sure the, the Tyree Kill guy is going to be yelling at us about how good Debo is uh, in the next couple minutes. But based on everything you were just saying, 20 touches across two playoff games in the running uh, situation, in the running role, and then looking at his targets as a wide receiver, he's only had seven looks across the two games. Juju Smith-Schuster played one game in the playoffs, and he got eight looks. Looking at this board, Dalton Schultz got eight looks in one game. Zay Jones has more targets in the playoffs than Debo Samuel does. So that becomes concerning when we're going to a fairly high-priced guy who's going to be extremely popular on this slate. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd rather get to Cooper Cup. I'd rather differentiate where I can. And that's going to be a major source of differentiation for me, I think, this weekend is probably getting to less of Cam Akers on this slate and getting to less of Debo Samuel on both the combined slate and the showdown slates. Yeah, if I'm taking a shot on a cheap 49ers receiver, because now we're talking about like, all right, who's going to get some of the passing game work if we're not necessarily looking to target Debo Samuel? And also keep in mind, I'm not saying I hate Debo Samuel as a person, or I I think there's upside there. I just want to play Cooper Cup. If I play a lot of Debo Samuel, that restricts how much I could play Cooper Cup. I think Juwan Jennings could be a pretty interesting contrarian play here. He's not consistent, but we've seen legitimate upside from Juwan Jennings. He's cheap in both FanDuel and DraftKings. And you just have to go back three weeks to see it. A game against the Rams, matchup seems familiar, right? Game against the Rams, Juwan Jennings. Targeted seven times, caught six of them for 94 yards and two touchdowns. He's shown big playability. We can't count on that from him every game. We've looked through his box scores this year. It's like crappy game, crappy game. Oh, a big game from Juwan Jennings. For a one-game slate where he's cheap and he's probably not going to be popular, that's something that's appealing to me. Is there anybody else from a cheap wideout standpoint that's appealing to you as somebody to look at as a salary-saving option? Totally, totally agree with everything you just said about Jennings. He would have probably been my answer to that question if I'm going there. Just looking at the wideouts that came up on this crunch, it's relatively limited, right? It's just coming up as uh, as Cop Samuel, if Van Jefferson's in there, he's in here around 25% of the time. As far as super cheap or, you know, off the radar, I think it would have been Juwan Jennings in terms of my answer there. So I'm going to agree with you on that. Just looking at the targets for the playoffs, he's had the same seven targets that Debo's gotten in the playoffs. Debo's turned it into a little bit more, but not that much in terms of uh, going through the air, less than 50 yards more on those same seven targets. So I think, yeah, just as a total uh, total pivot, a money saver, a major ownership saver, I think it makes sense to go to Jennings there. And uh, yeah, not really getting to anybody else in terms of standout. We didn't really talk about the tight end, but at wide receiver spot, yeah, it would be Jennings for me. Nobody else really. 
And then uh, we could talk, we'll talk about the tight ends in a sec, but let's talk about the mid range of wide receiver before we move on. Odell Beckham, Brandon Ayuk, Van Jefferson. Van Jefferson does come with an asterisk because he's been dealing with a knee injury. He's officially listed as questionable to play. I assume he ends up playing how healthy he's going to be when he's on the field. That's a bit of a dice roll. But between Van Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk, Odell Beckham Jr., do any of these guys really stand out to you? Relative to price point, I like Van Jefferson the most. Uh, once again, it does come with a little bit of risk there. We need confirmation that he's playing with no restrictions. But between Beckham, Ayuk, Jefferson, any really strong leans between that trio? Um, would, was Odell on that list? Yeah, yeah, it was Beckham, Ayuk, okay. and Jefferson. Oh, my! I was listening for the for the first name, not the last <laughs> name, for some reason. I think it would be based on the fact that he's actually higher priced and more difficult to get to. I think it would probably be Odell for me at 8,600. Just again, looking at how this crunch came out. And if we're thinking in terms of lineup building, people doing it by hand, what they can fit into their lineups, and then people who use the optimizer and what fits in naturally as these things run, only 0.7% of these lineups included Odell here. That is really, really low. So if that's a case where it's just difficult to get him in the lineups based on that price, I'm going to try and force it. And I'm going to see, it depends on where our ownership projection comes in, but based on how fantasy cruncher is handling this, I think that's a spot where I'm just going to go to the clear number two, a guy who I still think is a very talented wide receiver at 8,600. It's a price that works for me, but it's not really working well for lineup construction. So I think you can force him a little bit on the San Francisco side. I think I like the Juwan Jennings play a little bit more than the Brandon Ayuk play. I agree with you. Van Jefferson's interesting. If he goes for 5,000, I'd be a little bit worried about how limited he might be out there. If he doesn't go, then you get $200 Ben Skaronic and you can kind of do whatever you want with lineup builds. If you include him in, maybe he gets two or three looks and uh, manages to get one in the end zone, but uh, lower end play there. I think if that's the, the way that it ends up going. All right. So let's talk about these tight ends. Now we've got George Kittle. We've got Tyler Higby, both certainly capable pass catchers. I'm scared of George Kittle because I have no clue what to make of him. Clearly all of the talent in the world from a tight end position, but also really good blocker. Something he loves to do is block which has led to George Kittle not being involved in the passing game as of late. Recent fantasy game from four fantasy points, four, six, three. He had 10 last week against the Green Bay Packers, and this is all DraftKings points where it's PPR points per reception. What do you think the realistic upside is? Well, the, the upside is clearly very high for George Kittle, but what do you think the realistic chance is that he reaches that upside? I'm, I'm really uncertain of how to handle him. Help, help God me, Terry. Yeah, it, it's a tricky question, and it's one that could easily be the inflection point of this entire slate could be that does Kittle get a couple additional looks based on wanting to change things up a little bit from what they've been doing. Like you said, he's been blocking his ass off out there and he's very good at it. And he's creating holes for some of these running backs that we're looking at, but that's one that I think I would let the field's ownership and his leverage score kind of dictate where I come down on him. If he ends up positively leveraged, I think it's one I want to chase because I think 7,400 is a relatively fair price for what we know this guy can do on the field. And if he gets a couple looks in the ends in the red zone, there's no reason to think that he couldn't turn that into two touchdowns and be the player of the slate. It's just on these most recent games with the limited role he's been playing in terms of targets that it becomes concerning. But if you told me I could have George Kittle for 7,400 in this situation at the beginning of the season and that he would probably be a little bit lower on than he should be, I think it's one that I would pounce on. So I don't really want to change that. So I think I'm probably a little bit excited about the George Kittle opportunity pending what our ownership looks like. Yeah, I think that's totally reasonable. And actually in the build I have right now, though, I am getting to more 
of Tyler Higby. He's a lot cheaper, and there's just been more stability in the passing game for him. Here's the recent targets we've seen from Higby. Six, six, nine, eight, four, seven. Clearly, George Kittle is more talented, but he also has a lot more upside. He's more expensive. I think there's more safety with Tyler Higby, so I'm getting to more of him. And actually, of all the pass catchers on the Rams, I have the most exposure right now to Cooper Cup. Tyler Higby coming in second for me, especially at his 5,200 price tag on DK. How do you view him as a mid-range option? Because he is my favorite play in that entire price range. Yeah, Higby's a tight end that I was trying to get all year long. I really liked him coming into this offense. Didn't really work out all that many times for me, but it's not one that I'm going to go away from here. So I'm happy, you know, maybe for the last time this year to get some Tyler Higby in my life. 5,200, I think the price works. Uh, you mentioned he was the second highest owned pass catcher for the Rams for you in my crunch that I just ran before here. He came up at that uh, same pace for me, second highest. But I mentioned that Odell at only 0.7% ownership. I don't really know how to weigh that right now. So it's a situation where I'd probably boost Odell significantly, try and get to more of him. I would probably have Higby third on the list uh, after the two wideouts. But I think I would have a lot of lineups that have Matt Stafford, Odell Beckham, and Tyler Higby in them and maybe forego the Cooper Cup shares in those lineups just as a differentiator play. I'll definitely have plenty of lineups that have Higby and Cup. I'll probably have a few that have all three with uh, with some variation in there. But I want to have, like I said at the beginning of when we were talking about this game, I want to have a good chunk of the Rams passing attack in most of my lineups. All right, and let's close. I don't want to close by talking about kickers, but it's kind of the last thing we have here. So we'll do kickers, and then uh, I guess we'll do some favorite captain plays from from both games as just a nice little summary. But Matt Gold, uh, Matt Gay, I, I combine the two. Matt Gay, Robbie Gold, which of these kickers do you prefer, if either, for tomorrow's game? Um, I don't really have a major lean <laughs> in terms of uh, where they're coming up in Fantasy Cruncher. Matt Gay coming up uh, 34.3% of the time versus Gould 22.3. We've got it projected out a little bit in uh, in his favor, and he's only 3,600. So I guess if I'm going to one, it would uh, I would kind of just follow the the one that fits into these uh, these lineups a little bit. It seems like a little bit better, but I really don't have a strong lean on the kickers. It's not a position I get to all that much. It is a little bit more viable in a game total like this, like I mentioned uh, earlier in the show. Uh, if we're looking at games, let's say between. 44 and 47 points on the board in Las Vegas. If we go to kickers, uh, we have nine winning lineups out of a sample of 27. So nine of 27 lineups included one kicker in a winning lineup in that's in that uh, format where we're within a few points of this game. So they're viable. It's not really viable to put two in. It's not really viable to go kicker and defense. Defense is a little bit more viable in this uh, in this spot. We get either one or two defenses in 11 of the winning lineups with two of them coming up twice and the other nine going to one defense. So maybe we lean that way a little bit more than the kicker. Um, but I, I just kind of like going to the skill players and, uh, and the touchdowns instead of chasing the defense and the kickers. All right, guys, do us a favor, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. One final quick segment here that I'm going to do to close out the show. Terry, we're going to go through both games really quickly. Give me one pay-up option at captain and one value option at captain for the Chiefs-Bengals game and for the Rams-49ers game. We'll go back and forth here. So first, for DK, what is your pay-up option at captain for the Bengals-Chiefs game? Um, pay up option at captain for Bengals chiefs. I might just throw Joe Burrow into that mix. 7.8% owned. We talked about all the reasons not to play a, a quarterback at captain. Mm -hmm. 
But I think at under 10% ownership, there is some interest there. There's a little bit of intrigue. So if I'm spending up, I just typically go to cheaper guys and skill players in that role. So it's not really my favorite answer. Um, but a lot of the other ones that I would want to go to, like a lot of the expensive skill players are negatively leveraged. And I think I prefer the uh, the Burrow call rather than saying Jamar Chase or Tyree Kill there. So let's go Joe Burrow. What the hell? Uh, that is going to be Travis Kelsey for me. Now your value option, if you're playing, if you're playing a value option at captain, who who are you going to play? Jarek McKinnon, 5,000, 11.5% optimal. We talked about it earlier. Uh, Positive three leverage score under 10% owned in that role. Only $5,000. You can do so much after putting him in that salary multiplier. So I'll go McKinnon there. I could get behind that as well. Now for the Rams 49ers game, you're paying up for one guy, captain. It's Cooper Cup for me. I don't really see any way around it. Is it the same for you? You're looking a little elsewhere for an expensive payup captain. No, if we're saying who's the best payup captain, it's Cooper Cup. It's uh, it's not even close. Um, like I said, there's you got to do a lot of work to differentiate those lineups, but he's not coming up as the most uh, frequent guy when you're running crunches. So it's worth putting in some elbow grease and trying to figure out how to differentiate those lineups. All right. Now for the captain, for me, if I'm going cheaper on DK, I'm actually going to go with George Kittle. I just talked about some of the risk involved with him, but the upside is really apparent. The chance of him reaching that upside, really difficult to predict. And it's all over the place, but because of what that ceiling is relative to his price, give me George Kittle as a cheaper, maybe a little more contrarian GPP captain. How about you, Terry? If you're saving money at the captain position on DK, who are you going with? I'm probably going to look at a guy who doesn't look like he came up at all in the crunch that I ran in the captain role, which again, kind of plays into the 0.7% that we saw him in just the wide receiver role. Give me some Odell Beckham. I know it's not necessarily like super cheap, but I think that price is uncomfortable enough and weird enough in the way that it fits in with all these other players that Odell might go under owned here. So give me some Odell. All right. That is going to do it for us today, guys. I hope you like this different way to approach this slate. We haven't done a showdown slate like this really flushed out over a full hour, breaking down uh, multiple games. Who knows? Maybe if you guys like it, if this gets enough views, give us some feedback. It'll be something we bring back for next year. We're certainly going to be doing it for the Super Bowl next week. There's no way to cover a full game, uh, a full a full slate for the Super Bowl on a one game slate. So let us know what you think about the show. Also subscribe to the YouTube channel, like the video. Good luck. And I hope you guys enjoy the games this weekend.